reading is a responsive reading. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. The New Testament reading is found in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my bar barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father, I thank you for these prayers. I thank you for the prayers of Christ Presbyterian. And now we pray together in this assembly for Janet. We pray that you would bring healing. We pray for Priscilla Turner that you would bring healing. Bring strength. Father, physical strength and spiritual strength. 
to Billy Griggs, to Jim Bennington. Our Father, this morning, we remember again the farmers of Fayette County. We pray that you would prosper the farmers. Give, make this season a good season. Father, bless the planting. Bless the watering. Father, bless the harvesting. We remember this day, Father, that you're our Father. And we celebrate that every day. Every time we turn and call you Father, we celebrate that we have a Father above all fathers. But this morning we come praying for the fathers of Christ Presbyterian. Bless us, Father, to be faithful as husbands to our wives, setting a godly examples to sons and daughters, saying this is what a husband looks like. We pray that we will be faithful fathers, modeling the, our Father in heaven, that we would not be perfect Father, we're not. We pray that you would take away any pretense to be perfect. We pray, our Father, rather that we would show our children, show the world around us, show our wives repentance, confession of sin. Father, keep us from a false arrogant, a, a, a false pride or false humility. We pray that, Father, you would keep us from the arrogance of self-righteousness as fathers. We pray that, Father, we would love our wives as Christ loved the church. And we pray that we you would use us to provide security and safety and blessing for our children. Above all, we pray that we would show them the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would show them your word with our lives. Thank you, Father. And now as we open your word, we pray that you would teach us. We all know John Sartell can't teach, so it won't make any difference in our lives. That can only come by your power. All true preaching is not a demonstration of the oratory ability of an individual. It's a demonstration of the power of your spirit. And this morning, we pray that he will mightily speak in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. An appetite that cannot be satisfied. Sin hides itself so easily. And we forget this. We, we sometimes look at sin and we see something so hideous and we say that's sin. Something happens awful in the world and the world stands up and says, that's evil. We forget that sin and evil hides so easily behind the mask of virtue and good reasoning. As we read this parable this morning, we were all inclined to say with Jesus, that man was a fool. He was a greedy man. 
a selfish man. He just lived for this world. He forgot that one day he had to die. You know, very few people, very few people, when you read that parable, maybe you're not hearing a sermon. Maybe you're just reading it in the Gospel of Luke. And you read it. And most people, including me, including the most people in this congregation, do not look at that man and say, I'm like that man. I'm greedy. In fact, I think that most of us are more like that man than unlike that man. Consider, he was hardworking and successful in his business. Consider, he had not made money by selling drugs or taking advantage of people and cheating people. His profit was a lawful profit. His wealth had been earned. He was not lazy. He had not inherited it. He had done well for himself and for his family. We would look at this and say, this man's the American dream. Notice that Jesus warning people listening to his preaching and remember there was a a crowd in this passage. But he had been addressing his disciples. In fact, for the last two chapters, he's been speaking specifically to to the disciples. And what does he say? He said, beware. If Jesus were here this morning and he was, and we were gathered around him and he was speaking about this, he would not say, look at the world out there, how greedy it is. He would say to us, and that's what he said in this passage, he said, you beware of greed. Why would he tell us to beware of something that was no danger to us? We said, well, you know, that's not a really besetting sin. Probably no one walking in the door this morning, none of us would have said, you know, greed is my besetting sin. Greed shows itself in our lives in every level of our lives. And think about about this. I I remember stories about two and and three-year-olds And it was all about greed. Phoebe, remember that Christmas? Mine. (laughs) You know, that's the way we all are. That's the way our children are. It comes up everywhere. I was in a duck blind in Arkansas. I had not been duck hunting that long. And I was hunting with guys that could see a duck at 200 yards and tell you whether it was uh, uh, a greenhead or Susie or uh, a gadwall, they, they could tell by the speed of the wings, they could uh, size duck, they'd tell. And, and so on this morning, I was in the blind with, with two men like that. And one was on one end of the blind, one was in the middle, and I was on the right side. And we had gotten our limit in mallards. We could not shoot a mallard. And a duck was coming, and I could not tell whether it was a Susie. Or a, theme, or a gadwall. And it was, it was supposed to be by a duck. And I said to the man next to me without looking at him, is that a Susie or gadwall? And I heard, boom! And the duck fell. And, he, and then I heard, gadwall. <laughs> <clears throat> and 
I told him. I said, and I was preaching the next Sunday on greed. And just so you'll know, and I, and I hope his brother, you know, I said, Jim Cruz, every time I preach on greed, I'm going to tell them how greedy you are. <laughs> it shows on every level of our lives. We laugh, but it really does. I mean, if, if you know, we, we look at this man's life and... And look at this. And if we're honest, we're, we press ourselves and we say, am I making wise business decisions or am I just greedy? That's a question that Jesus would have us ask, every one of us. Are you in high school, junior? I don't care. All of us have more of this in us than we think we do. There's certain questions that we can ask. In fact, I'm going to give you five or six questions this morning that you can ask. And it will, it will be a mirror to, to show us whether we are greedy or not. First question, what is my life about? Why is that important? Greed will misinterpret the meaning of life. Look at verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And look what he says. A man's life does not consist in abundance of possession. Jesus addressed himself. He said, what's your life about? Greed says life is about stuff. Greed says life is about having more. Greed says life is about having all you can get. Greed says that life is about pleasuring yourself. Now, you must be careful here. Listen to me. Many folks have misunderstood Christianity as a point. They've misunderstood what God said. You will hear from many pulpits that being poor is more godly than being wealthy. Poverty or wealth does not have one thing to do with godliness or ungodliness. We're called by Scripture itself to enjoy food, to enjoy wine, to enjoy friends, to enjoy work, to enjoy leisure, to enjoy his creation. What did he say to Adam and Eve? He said, here is the garden. It's for you. Enjoy it. He said we should enjoy the physical, sexual relationship inside of marriage. It was created of God for us to enjoy. He said we should enjoy our material blessings. So let's be sure that we're not saying, as Christians, we must own old beat-up cars, wear hair shirts, live in a hovel, and have furniture with holes in the upholstery. That, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Abraham was a rich man. God blessed him to be a rich man. Job was a very wealthy man. David was a wealthy man. But Jesus was saying this. It is easy to get caught up in stuff so that self and stuff become the meaning of our lives. So, the question is simple. What's your life about? What's your life about? 
I read a book a few years ago by Lawrence Seamus. The name of the book was A Hunger for More. I think he was a Jewish writer. It was certainly not a Christian book. But it really showed the effect of, of greed in our culture. And he said this, a certain line gets crossed. People look to their goods, not just for pleasure, but for meaning. That's what Jesus said here. Some of us will say, you know, for meaning in my life, I've got to own a Ford 250. Got to. Is it. How many in the parking lot we've got this morning? It's all right to own a Ford 250, but is that, is that what gives us meaning? What is our life about? Greed misinterprets the meaning of life. Secondly, second question, is my life marked by constant contentment? Greed always wants more. It cannot be satisfied. Is your life marked? Are you, are, are you a content person? Paul said, in whatever circumstances I find myself, I'm content. Can you say that? Whatever circumstance you find yourself in prison, sick, hurting, wealthy, at a banquet, I'm content. What a blessing to be able to say that. Look at, look at verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. The man was already wealthy. He already had more than he could spend. The bumper crop did not make him wealthy. He already had houses and barns. Notice the word in verse 18. It's not barn, it's barns. He already had plenty of barns. He had no place to store this crop because what? His barns and silos were already full. But he was not satisfied. He had to have more. In 1986, remember those of you who were alive then, Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos. You remember that? Remember when they were thrown from power? In their haste to escape, from the angry Filipinos. Amelda Marcos, the wife of Ferdinand Marcos. Remember this? It was all over the news. She left behind 1,200 pairs of shoes. She left behind 427 designer dresses and 71 pair of sunglasses. 
That was in a country where two out of every three households lacked adequate food. In their 20 years of power, the couple had plundered nearly $12 billion from the Filipino people, from the people of the Philippines. What was she thinking after she had 100 pairs of shoes? What more could she want after 200 designer dresses? How do you decide... How do you decide which sunglasses you're going to wear if you have 71 pairs? You see the point? There's never enough. There's never enough. Greed will go grow in your soul. If, if Greed can start out so simple in your life. But it will never be satisfied. Ever, ever, ever. God, what are our lives about? What drives our life? What gives our lives meaning? Greed misinterprets the meaning of life. Is my life marked by constant contentment? Greed always wants more. Is everything, the third question, is everything always about me? Greed will be self-centered. That's very nature it's self-centered. Look at verse 17. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my, my barns, and I'll bid, build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. I, I, my, I, I, my, I, my, my. In just two verses and four sentences. First, he self-made. My crops, my barns, my grain, my goods. He was like Nebuchadnezzar. Read the fourth chapter. You want to read it. I almost did this in our Old Testament reading. Read the fourth chapter of Daniel about Nebuchadnezzar. Look at, four, look at the fourth chapter, the 29th verse in your scripture sheet. Twelve months later, as King Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the roof on the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is, this, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power? And for the glory of my majesty. The wealthy farmer in this passage was not asking God for blessing and seeking his direction. He was not thanking him for what he had provided, for what God had provided. He did not see himself as a steward, he saw himself as a creator and owner. A man I knew lived not far from where I lived in Virginia. He owned the largest house in this small town. He owned the largest business in that town. It's not huge. It was a small town, but he was wealthy. This man had a son and daughter. I've always thought about him when I read when I, when, I, when I read this passage, when I would read this passage, this man came to mind. He viewed himself as a self-made man. 
And his business and his family were his. They were like he owned them. No, There was no young lady ever good enough for his son. And no one was ever good enough for his daughter. His son married. Of course, he did not approve. His daughter married. Of course, he did not approve. He hated his son-in-law. He didn't like his daughter-in-law. Shortly after that, like in this passage, the father died. And then in just a few years, the daughter died. In just a very short time, the son died. The daughter-in-law married the son-in-law and owned the business. His greed said, mine, mine, mine. And God said, no. I can do with my creation what I want to with my creation. It's a dangerous thing in your greed to stand before God and say, that's mine. A mother was preparing pancakes for her son, for two sons. Kevin was five and Ryan was three. You know, pancakes, if you have a small griddle, pancakes don't come off two and three and four at a time. So somebody gets a pancake first. So the mother saw an opportunity for a lesson. And she said, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, you let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. Kevin, the five-year-old, turned to his younger brother and said, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> People, greed is self-centered. Does it always have to be about you? What would your children say? What would your wife say? What would your husband say? Sometimes do your neighbors kid you and say, you know, it's always got to be about you. Maybe there's a message there. The next question is, is associated with this. Is my life about my pleasure? That's the fourth question. Why? Because greed is self-indulgent. Look at verse 19. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. The first part of that, we just looked at, this is mine. And now I'll use it for my pleasure. Two questions. Where do we get our possessions? God gives them to us. Is, any, is there another answer to that? Is there another answer to it? I don't care whether you're a Christian, non-Christian. The Bible teaches that everything you have comes from God. He gave it to you. 
Second question. Does he give them to us so that we can selfishly accumulate? Is that why he gives them? You know the answer to that. From your shoestrings to the button on your shirt. He gives them because he cares for his creation. He gives them if, if, if you've been born again into his, he gives them because you're his child. But does he give them so that we can hoard, so that we can collect, so that we can, can have it all for ourselves? Does he give it? For our own pleasure. He wants us to enjoy his creation. But are we known? Are we known? You know, if we answer that question, God gives me everything. He gives me, he gives me this so that I can be a blessing to the world around me. So here's, here's, here's God who generously gives to us. Did you deserve it? No. None of us deserved it. So he gives it to us freely in his grace. He's generous. Are we as generous to the world around us? Are we as generous? And this is you talking about the opposite of greed. This is the opposite of greed. Are you as generous to the world around you as God is with you? Does our generosity model God's generosity? And you say it's impossible. He gave his own son, Jesus Christ. It's impossible to be that generous. Exactly. Exactly. So you can never reach it. That's how profound it is. But that says to us, the thing that ought to mark his people, one of the characteristics that ought to mark his people in a huge way is generosity. Greed is self-indulgent. It, it's tight-fisted with what it has. Let me ask you, what, what, what do, do your, do your non-Christian neighbors, the neighbors you have that are professing non-Christians, what, what if someone were to ask them, is, is John Sartell generous? What, what if your neighbors, what if my, my, you know, what if I went and asked my neighbor says, John Sartell generous? What would your neighbor say about you? You generous? Very quickly, am I investing my life only for the present? Greed will always be ill-prepared for death. How do you answer that question? Am I investing my life only for this present world? Look at verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then, you, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself?
If you've lived, just think about that for a minute. If you've lived for stuff, the stuff of this world, material things, all your life, if that's what's driven you, you're not going to be prepared for death. We've all heard, he who dies with the most toys wins. That's wrong. It should say, we should say, he who dies with the most toys dies anyway. And he leaves his toys. He doesn't take them with him. The thing which you loved most and lived for is The object here is he said, you, you better invest in God. There's more to this world than the physical. So, here are the questions. What is my life about? Greed misinterprets the meaning of life. Is my life marked by contentment? Greed always wants more. Can't be satisfied. Is my life always about me? Greed is self-centered. Am I rich toward God? Greed is self-indulgent. Am I investing my life only in this present world? Finally, what we've already said, is my life marked by generosity? Greed is marked by what? Getting. Generosity is marked by giving. This is how it will be, verse 21, with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Folks, this is not a moral lesson. I'm not saying, listen to me, if you, I'm Young person especially, listen to me. Don't walk out of here today saying, the preacher today, the prophet today said, don't be greedy. I'm not patting you on your head today and say, don't be greedy. There's only one person that can stop greed in our lives. That's Jesus Christ. Our kids this week, certain Bible school, we've been shipwrecked on an island. We have been shipwrecked into sin. And there's only one way to deal with sin in our lives, whether it is judicially standing before God and and, and and being saved through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, or whether it's by the power of the Holy Spirit killing the remaining living sin inside of us, inside of our lives after we're changed by the Holy Spirit. Either one, either the justification or the sanctification, what? How does that how is that affected? It's our relationship with God, it's our relationship with Christ. If you we've answered these questions this morning and and we come and we said, you know what? I, I am greedy. My life is way too much about me. My life is way too much about getting. I'm not marked by generosity. 
Then you, we don't need to go from here and say, I'm going to be generous. I'm not going to be greedy. And give $100 to the first beggar we see. That's not, not what it's about. You go to Jesus. Go to the cross. Understand. Go to God the Father and understand that everything you have comes from Him. Everything. Understand that it's Jesus alone who saves. And He was given freely. Alexander the Great was riding with his soldiers. Large entourage. And he saw a beggar beside the road. And he stopped. And he went to the beggar. And he gave him a lot of gold coins. And one of his advisors said, Alexander, copper coins would adequately meet that beggar's needs. Why would you give him gold? Alexander responded, copper coins would suit the beggar's need, but it's gold coins that suits Alexander's giving. Jesus would love that. Jesus would say to us, with my children, with my people, they don't give copper coins. Their generosity is greater than that. They give much, much more. Because why? Because he's been the recipient of God's incredible generosity. And when you've been a recipient of his incredible generosity. Because of your relationship with him. You will strive to be as generous with the world around you. As Jesus has been with you. Our hymn, closing hymn, is most appropriate. When I survey the wondrous cross.